Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're here at the ASCO annual meeting and I'm joined by Dr. Stephanie Smith. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for the invite. Would you like to introduce yourself and share what your work focuses on? Absolutely. So my name is Stephanie Smith. I'm a pediatric oncologist and cancer survivorship researcher at Stanford. Um, my research really focuses on the intersection between cancer oncology, so oncology or on treatment, uh, survivorship and health equity, um, really through the lens of um, how we can try to improve uh, implementation of science into real world practice to really start to tackle health disparities um, in partnership, ideally with community organizations. Great. Um, so you're presenting here um, about leveraging a community academic partnership to evaluate the needs of Latinx AYA cancer survivors. Um, just for a little bit of background, why is studying cancer survivorship important in the context of uh, adolescents and young adults as well as uh, the Latinx population? Absolutely. So um, cancer survivors, so uh, folks who are treated for cancer when they're little um, are unfortunately at risk for long-term health complications related to their past cancer treatments as they get older. And that's related to being treated with things like chemotherapy and radiation therapy that are necessary to cure the cancer, but set people up for um, late health effects or at least the risk of late health effects. So we know from decades of research that staying connected with care is really important for these individuals, particularly as they move from pediatric to adult-focused care. So that's where the adolescent and young adult age group becomes super important. We think about AYAs as being a vulnerable population in cancer in general, um, and that's particularly true in the survivorship population as well. We know there's so much fragmentation of care, and as people are aging out of pediatric health systems, um, many are lost to follow-up and never make it to establish really, really good survivorship care with adult clinicians. Um, so there's a lot of talk about self-management. There's a lot of talk about trying to empower folks to be able to man their own health care and, and sort of manage their own health care and drive that. Um, but that becomes much more difficult uh, when, you, when you face a variety of different factors. Um, one of these factors that we think about with some of the patients that we take care of is language. Um, so if you imagine a kid who was diagnosed and treated when they were really little, say two or three, go through a few years of cancer treatment and are done with that, um, they're not necessarily an active member of their treatment team at that age, right? Um, we, we bond and care deeply for the kids that we treat, but the reality is a four-year-old isn't making their own treatment decisions. Um, and so 20 years from now, you know, 15 years after they finish their treatment, now they're a teenager, they're a young adult, um, they're the ones who need to start to make their own healthcare decisions, and that should ideally happen gradually over years through this, like, really, what should be a really well-thought-out transition process long way of saying that becomes much more complicated um, for, for folks whose language preferences um, may, be, may be different from the dominant language in the population. So um, an example in the population that I've been working closely with is um, Hispanic, Latino, or Latinx cancer survivors and thinking about individuals who perhaps grow up speaking, um, being, really being bilingual and speaking both English and Spanish, um, but whose parents may be monolingual Spanish speaking um, or primarily Spanish speaking preferred. And so the, the question becomes, how do you facilitate some of these conversations when, as a child has kind of aged throughout their pediatric cancer follow-up, um, at some point those conversations really shifted from being driven by and directed to the parent, oftentimes with an interpreter in settings in which the um, clinician does not is not fluent in the parent's preferred language. Um, so having a, an interpreter present for those visits, but as a kid becomes a teenager and a young adult, if they grew up bilingual, oftentimes they'll prefer to speak in English. Um, and then as they get older and, and more independent, those conversations really shift into more of a dyad between the clinician and the young adult. Um, and so there's settings where the parent then 
you know, in not a very formal way, isn't a part of those conversations very naturally. Um, and so one of the things that, that becomes problematic is, is really thinking about how do you facilitate that communication when there's differences in language in these different settings. Really long-winded way of saying um, the complexities. Yes, I think it's obviously very complex, a lot of, a lot of different factors to address. Um, so why did you decide to focus on community academic partnerships in addressing this? Yeah, so um, I think there's um, one of the things that consistently comes up in really every, every national cancer survivorship meeting for the past several years, handful of years, is really saying we know what the science tells us. We know that people should be getting long-term follow-up. They should be getting all of these really well thought out recommendations that are based in the evidence. But the reality in clinical practice is that what we know is less than 20% of folks are actually getting this care and, and it's probably much lower in the real world. So the model of having cancer survivorship clinics that reside solely within the academic setting, I think is the model that has um, naturally developed over the years and it has its advantages for sure um, but the reality is it's not reaching a bunch of people um, so the question is how do we start to reach those folks and I think the answer lies in really developing these partnerships between the academic and the community setting to think about wraparound services to think about meeting people where they truly are where they live and work and not just where they have to drive sometimes hours and hours to get to an academic center um, so that's kind of the origins and the ideas of um, the way that I think about it is, what can we borrow from really good science that lives within the public health sphere in terms of um, a really robust body of literature that focuses on community-based participatory research and community partnerships and bring that into oncology and survivorship and, and really learn from what folks have done for decades in different marginalized populations to, to not come in just as um, a scientist or a clinician or an academician who who sort of quote knows it all but to say we actually don't know what we know is is what the science tells us and what the studies tell us but we don't know the realities on the ground in your community with your people and so the way that we I think start to break down some of these barriers is to go at this together through true partnerships that are equal partnerships that are um, really meant to, to sort of approach this with a lot of humility. Absolutely yes. Um, so what were some of the key findings that your study found? Yeah, so this was a this was a really early needs assessment, really broad based. Um, we interviewed uh, adolescent and young adult cancer survivors, uh, parents of childhood cancer survivors, and then a number of individuals who work with the community organization. Um, and we found one of the really uh, prominent themes is just profound unmet mental health needs. Um, really in the decades after someone finishes their cancer treatment. Um, and so one of the examples is parents have really, really prolonged fear of recurrence um, for their children. Uh, and even for, for diagnoses where, let's say it's 15, 20 years out, the chance of relapse is diminishingly so small, um, and yet that, that fear remains just as high as it ever was. Um, we know that there's unmet mental health needs for adolescent young adult cancer survivors and even for their siblings as well, just the magnitude of that impact on a family. Um, one of the other key findings really has to do with communication barriers um, and not just your standard um, language preference barriers that we see when clinicians speak or prefer different languages from families, um, but really some nuances of differing language preferences within families as well. 
Um, so barriers both um, sort of impeding some of the communication about cancer and survivorship within a family between a young adult and a parent, um, and then also between um, young adults and clinicians, and then between parents and clinicians. So it's sort of this triad that I like to think about um, and thinking about many levels of different factors that may be targets for future interventions there. Um, so what recommendations do you have for um, improving survivorship for this population, including utilizing the results of your study? Um, what we're planning to do, the next step in our, in our research that um, is funded by a um, Conquer Cancer Career Development Award is going to start this summer, which is really doing a deep dive into the language needs um, and communication preferences, um, and starting with really listening to the community first, so, so doing focus groups and, and really listening deeply to what are all of the nuances of language and communication, in particular in the Hispanic Latino culture, um, as we think about um, some of the stigma around cancer, what words are the right words to use when we talk about cancer and survivorship, um, and how we can, can really partner together to start to address some of those things, um, and then ultimately developing a, an intervention with the community um, to try to um, essentially improve how we deliver survivorship care with more sensitivity to the language that we use um, and some of the communication strategies that people have used in other settings that might be relevant to apply to the survivorship setting. Absolutely. This is really important research. So thanks so much for talking about it today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.